Valley. Anybody? How about Bonanza? You know, I was always disappointed uh, when the service would go too long on Sunday night and we couldn't get home to watch Bonanza when it started. But boy, some of those old programs from the 60s and early 70s, I absolutely loved. We only got three channels, black and white, screen would roll, go side to side. You could barely hear it, barely see it for the snow. But I'm telling you, you just locked in and enjoyed what you could see. But I think one of my favorite shows was the Andy Griffith Show. How many loved Andy? Say amen. Oh, yeah. I still like Andy. When Andy comes on, I'll still watch it today. And um, there was one Andy Griffith show that's specially memorable for me as I go back in time and think about that show. Uh, uh, Andy's got to be out of town, so he makes Barney the sheriff. Now, you know Barney and his one bullet. And Barney, uh, he was not a very good deputy and certainly wasn't sheriff material. So with Andy out of town, Barney's wondering what to do. And he said, well, you know, every sheriff needs a deputy. So he does what any good sheriff would do. He goes down to the local gas station and he recruits none other than Gomer Pyle. So Gomer is sworn in and he's going to be the deputy. Well, with Andy out of town... They're making the rounds that evening, and they see a bank heist transpiring. And they run and hide behind a car, and they're discussing what to do. When uh, Gomer comes up with this great solution, he says, let's call the police. (laughs) Well, Barney, in exasperation, says, we are the police. And it's as though no one knew who was in charge. And as we come to our text today, it's as though no one knows who's really in charge. Because it appears that Annas and Caiaphas and the Pharisees, Sadducees are in charge. The Sanhedrin's in charge. It seems as though Jesus has no authority whatsoever. But the question is, sometimes what can seem like reality is not reality at all. So let's stand and we're going to read out of John's Gospel, chapter 18, starting in verse 12. We'll go down through verse 14, then we'll drop down verses 28 through 32. It says, Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Father, I pray that you would allow us to see ourselves in this text. And Father, that we would judge ourselves lest we not be judged by others or by Christ. Help us, Father, to rise above the common concepts of the moment 
And help us, Lord, to realize that we are held to a higher standard. And, Father, we serve the highest power in all eternity. And that is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So help us today to navigate this text, to understand what was transpiring, and also to apply it to our lives that we might shine as bright stars for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, leading up to this point, you know, Jesus had been in Gethsemane. Jesus had been arrested. He had been betrayed by Judas, his, one of his friends in the Twelve. And uh, he had been praying in the garden. And Peter, James, John, nor the others could stay with him and pray because the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak and they were sleeping. And Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Now, after the betrayal with a kiss, the guards come to arrest Jesus. And they say, who are you? And he said, I am indicating that he was very God, and they fall back because when he said, I am, they recognized the fact that there was power and authority in this person. So these religious leaders had already done their work, and they were going to find Jesus, and they were going to take him and crucify him. But John's gospel in chapter 11 says these words, starting in verse number 47. It says these words, listen closely. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. He's done many wonders, many miracles. What are we going to do about him? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So that was their concern, that the Romans would come and take away their established religious order, set up a new order, and they would be on the outside looking in. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. And not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in him, or in one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. Listen, why were they so adamantly desirous to get rid of Jesus? I mean, what had he done? He had raised the dead. He had healed the blind. He had given given hearing to those who were deaf. He had taken the withered hand, given a man a whole hand. He had caused a man who was on a pallet for 38 years to rise. He had done all these miracles. He had done all these good deeds. He had taught all this higher ethical standard of living. He had basically said there's two commandments, not ten any longer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and your father as yourself, or your God as yourself, or your neighbor as yourself, and that will fulfill the law and the prophets. He had said good things. He had done good deeds, and the Jewish religious leaders were adamantly opposed to him, and here's the reason, because he was threatening their current living situation. You see, they had developed this model whereby they gained wealth. 
and they gained power and they gained authority and they gained control over all of the Jewish people. They had things exactly as they liked. And Jesus was upsetting the apple cart and their religious system was about to fall flat on his face. So the three things I want to show you from our text that indicate how we ought to be about his business and what we ought not to be doing as we see in our text. Number one, we're going to look at Annas. Annas was blinded by religion. And I want you to know something today. Many people today are blinded by religion. We look at religion, not relationship. And when we look at religion, not relationship, we are blinded because we realize it's a series of deeds that I must do. It's not a relationship that I can have. And when we do that, we recognize the fact that we're falling way short and it becomes an issue of do, 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 do. I've got to do all of these things. But in verse number 13, it says... And they led him away to Annas first. Now, they led him to Annas, and this is the first time we have the mention of Annas. And why Annas? Well, he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Well, Annas wasn't the high priest, but there's something mysterious here. Annas, they led led him to first. So that would indicate what? Who was the real authority here? It wasn't Caiaphas, the high priest, but it was Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. And they led him first to... Guess who? Annas. So this was like a, if you will, a pre-trial. And uh, Annas had been the high priest for 19 years leading up to this time. And I'll give you a little bit more information on that in just a moment. But what this really was, was a process of manipulation and corruption that had taken place within the Jewish system and... and uh, Annas had started this process, and we find that really Annas is the power behind the throne, and he's pulling all the strings, he's the master manipulator, he's controlling all that transpires with the high priest and within the political party of the Sanhedrin, which is made up and composed of 70 of the most elite religious leaders of the day. So even though... Annas wasn't high priest. He was in charge. Now, we see in John chapter 2. Remember in John chapter 2, Jesus cleanses the temple? When Jesus cleanses the temple, what does he do? He turns over the tables. He runs out the money changers. He gets rid of all the animals. And he's upsetting the religious system. But really, it's not a religious system that he's upsetting. It's an economic system because it's all about the money. You've heard it said, Follow the money. Well, that's true then and it's true today. Follow the money. And basically what was transpiring here is when Jesus was doing this, he was reaching within the pockets of Annas and his family and he was taking out their gold and he was giving it back to the people. And the religious system was like, we won't do this because you couldn't bring your own sheep. You couldn't bring your own goat. You couldn't bring your own pigeon. You couldn't bring anything because you had to purchase it within the court before you sacrificed it to God. So Caiaphas, Annas, the religious leaders of the day were upset because Jesus was taking their money from them. And not only was Annas a son-in-law of the high priest, but there were four sons of Annas who also stepped in the role of high priest and a grandson. So you see, it was this religious corrupt system that began here and went all the way to here. And guess what? They, they were basically saying, we're going to maintain power through nepotism. We're going to keep it at all costs because we're not going to lose our money. It doesn't matter our relationship with God. It's all about power. 
It's all about control. And we're going to control this thing as long as we can. So, basically what Annas did, he bought the priesthood. And by buying the priesthood, he had corrupted the religious system of the day. But he was blinded to his relationship because of his religion. And they were no longer drawing near to God. But what they were doing is they were taking for themselves. They were no longer concerned about being clean before the Lord. They were concerned about cleaning up the coffers so they could put it in their own coffers. And Jesus was turning this religious system upside down. And Annas and his family were like, we're not going to allow this. The Bible talks about religious leaders and material gain. And we have it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul said, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which can come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicion, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Now here it is. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Now here's what the last words are. From such withdraw yourself. And that's what Annas, Caiaphas, and the rest of the family were doing. And they were saying, this religious system set up so we can gain wealth. And they were participating in that. And Annas was blinded by the religious system that he had created. And it was no longer an affinity or an affection toward God. It was a task of what can I get for me. It was all about selfish gain. I need this. I deserve this. And what that comes down to, and it comes down to it in our life, we do blind duty instead of delight in serving the Lord. It's I've got to do this rather than I desire to do this. Let me give you an illustration. If Sandy and I, both of us live until August 23rd of this year, we'll be married 42 years. And let's simply say that I tell Sandy, for our anniversary, I write her a little card, a little note. And then I buy her flowers and have them delivered to her workplace. And then I set up an appointment and and we're going to go out and eat and we're going to go over to Whispering Woods. And then she says, oh, John, you shouldn't have done that for me. And I said, well, I, you know, I Googled what shot I do for you for our anniversary. And it said, I should make a card for you. I, I, I should give you flowers and I should take you out to eat. Well, that would kind of do this. Right? But let's suppose on the other hand that I make a card for her. I write her a letter. I give her flowers. And I set up a dinner time at Whispering Woods. And she said, oh, John, you shouldn't have done that for me. That's so kind. And I said, well, honey, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for you. Thank you for for giving me 42 years of your life. This is the least I can do because I love you and I want to honor you and I want to exalt you. Now, what would be the difference in that? It'd be like two thumbs up. Be like, this is going to be a good day. Rather than saying out of duty, but I do it out of delight. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to serve Him out of a delight, not duty. Well, I guess I've got to get up and go to church today. I guess I've got to read the Bible today. I guess I've got to pray today. I guess I have to do these things today. But I don't really want to do them, but I'm going to do them because it's my duty. But when you delight to do something, 
when you just simply can't wait to do it, or when you're excited about doing it because you want to honor that person and you want them to know that they are loved and, and, and that, that you simply do it not for you but for them. Listen, that changes everything. And what happens in our life so often is we do it for duty and worship is lost. Let me say that again. Often we come and do it for duty, but worship is lost. Right? I'm putting my check mark in. But I'm just doing it because it's my duty. I'm not doing it because it's worship. We need to remove our duty and give our delight. And the psalmist said in Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Listen, if you get your desires before your delight, you're not going to get your answers prayed, uh, your prayers answered. But if you get your desires behind your delight, then God is glorified and you are worshiping Him. And then good things will happen in your life because you're not doing it as duty, but you're doing it in love and delight and saying, Lord, I just want to honor You. But what had happened is Annas, Caiaphas, and the religious system was bound up in duty and they were blinded by their religion. So let me say again, do not be blinded by your religion. Do not be blinded by your duty delight in the Lord. Think about this, if you will. You got up this morning, your heart's still beating, and your lungs are still working, and apparently your legs, because you came in this building, you know what you should be doing? Thanking God. Delighting that you can. Because there is a number of people who would love to be sitting in here today that simply can't. I can name a couple of couples real quick. Junior and Nancy Harlow would love to be here today. Visiting this past week. You know what they said? We want to be there so badly. We just can't right now. Buzz and Kathy Stone. Uh, not Stone, but Buzz and Kathy uh, Busby. There are so many others that would love to be here today. Because of their health, they simply can't. We need to say, thank you, Lord, that I can be here today. That I can delight in you. Amen? That we should be excited about what God's done in our life. But so let's, let's don't get blinded by religion and say, oh, I've got to do this because I'm going to tell you, Bob Coleman and Lori, uh, uh, Lenore Coleman would love to be here today as I visit this week. I said, Bob, what do I tell the church? He said, serve the Lord. Be there. Do what you can do while you can do. And that's what we should do. Amen. These, these worship leaders up on stage, do you think they just come here on Sunday morning and, and, and come sauntering in at 10.30 and jump up here and sing? No, they practice. They practice on Tuesday night. They come up here and they practice by 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. They're, they're, they're practicing. They're working. They're getting ready. It's not a duty for them. It's a delight for them. And we should, too should delight in what the Lord has done in our lives. So let's don't be blinded by religion. Don't say, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. But secondly, the crowd. The crowd was broken by hypocrisy. I mean, (laughs) these same people that were saying a week earlier, Hosanna, son of David, king of Israel. They wanted to make him king. Now what are they saying? Crucify him. They were saying, crown him a week earlier now. Let's crucify this guy. Look at verse 28, I believe. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. Now, watch the irony in this. 
It was early in the morning, day of Passover. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium because they would be defiled because they wanted to eat Passover. They wanted to eat Passover later that evening, so they didn't want to be defiled. They wanted to serve. They wanted to, they wanted to be sure that they got this most special meal of the year. And they didn't want to defile themselves. I mean, there's incredible irony there. They didn't want to be defiled. Are you kidding me? Really? Do you think they, that leading up to this, everything they had done had, had not already defiled them, made them unclean before the Lord? And they said, oh, wait, well, we, we want to take communion. I mean, we want to take the Lord's Supper. doesn't matter what I've done this week. It doesn't matter what I... <laughs> yes, it does. We should come with clean hands and clean hearts. Amen? And, and often our hearts are far from the Lord. Their purpose wasn't in living for God, but their purpose was what they could get out of it and what, how they could be seen by others. All they were concerned about is what's in my pocket. When I reach in there, is there something in there? They were blinded by religion just like Annas, but also they were blinded by their hypocrisy because they said, oh, we don't want to defile ourselves because if we defile ourselves, we can't participate in the most sacred holiday that we have, so we're not going to go in. Listen, we can be blinded and we can be hypocrites. And as we're hypocrites, we say one thing out of one side of our mouth and we say something else out of the other, or we live one way in public and another way in private. And God says, no, you are what you are. You know what you are? You are what you are when no one sees you. That's what you are. It's not what people see, but it's what God sees. And their lives had become broken because of the path of hypocrisy that they were on. And, and, and they, they, didn't, they weren't worshiping. All they were concerned about was participating in a ritual. Their heart was completely far from God. It was ruined before God. And when you think about the Passover, why was it so important that the religious leaders eat the Passover? Why was it so important? I'll tell you why it was so important. Because it was a time... When the nation of Israel recognized and realized that God had released them from bondage and brought them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, crossed the desert, brought them to the promised land, and established them as a people of God. But these religious people, even though they had been removed from bondage, even though they had been given hope in this new life, you know what they did? Because of their hypocrisy, they weren't making the Passover about God. But here's what they were doing. Now listen to me. They were making it about themselves. You ever seen? You, you, you can tell the difference when someone's up here singing and it's about them and when it's about the Lord. Amen? You can. I've seen people up here and, and, and they're singing a song that's about God and they're looking at their girlfriend like, this is about you, baby. No, no, it's about the Lord. It's about the Lord. Anything and everything that we do should be concerning Him and should be pointed to Him. Don't point things to yourself. Don't point people to you. Point them to the Lord. Their ability, their desire was to eat the Passover. But what about us? Do we not become hypocritical at times? I'm afraid we do. I'm afraid we do. You know, 
Having a relationship with God, having a, being, being right with God, having clean hands and clean hearts before God is inward. It's not outward. Outward is what people see. Inward is what we truly are. Reputation is what people see. Character is what's within. And we need to have that character that people say, you know what, that, that person right there, they not only talk the talk, but they walk the walk. Their only concern was their position before people. That was the real problem of the day, and it still happens today. And if we're not careful, we'll battle these tendencies as well. Our two lives don't match up, our private life and our, our, our public life. And we battle with which leads to brokenness. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23. He said these words, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of men and anise and cumin and have neglected the weight of your matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Hyperbole, by the way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. In other words, what he's saying is you worry about what's in here first. Then what's in the here will come out here and people will see. But if you, if you just were worried about what people see out here because the Pharisees, they, they, would, they would make these long lengthy prayers at the corner of the streets with all their bells and whistles on and everybody would say, oh, they're so religious. And God was like, oh, no, 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 no. They're broken. They're not religious, they're hypocrites. That strong language that Jesus gives us, that he gave them. He basically said, you come to worship me, but you don't worship me. You come to follow me, but you don't follow me. You're concerned only about yourself. Let that not be said about us. Let it be said of us that our private walk with the Lord weighs heavier than our public walk among people. Third thing. Jesus was bound by accusations. Now, look, stay with me. You can't bind Jesus. You can't bind him. I mean, he, he, nothing can bind Jesus. But for the sake of our text, Jesus was bound by accusations. Now, now, what do I mean by that? The only one that's going to be really bound is Satan, and we know he's going to be bound at the end of time. But this is interesting in verse number 12. It said, Then the detachment of the troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now, remember what happened last week when Jesus said, I am? What happened to them? They fell back on their gluteus maximus. That means their backside. They were on the ground because he said, I am. And now they think they can bind him with rope? Are you kidding me? This is irony also. It's like, well, really? You're going to bind Jesus with a, 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 a rope? When he threw that little grenade, I am, and you just fell as though dead? How are you going to bind him? You can't bind him. Again, this is uh, irony from John. The accusation against him in verse 30. Watch what it says. They answered and said to him... <laughs> This is in Praetorium. This is when they're, they're talking uh, to Caiaphas. If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Now, if you're a lawyer, isn't that great lawyer talk? If he weren't guilty, we wouldn't have him here. I mean, you'd be giving an accusation, correct? Not just making this bland statement, but uh, that's what they do. 
Problem is, they didn't have anything to accuse him of. And you say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Another gospel accounts, they accused him for blasphemy. They did. And that he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Yes. But these accusations didn't keep Jesus bound. They were the accusations, listen to me, that kept Jesus in place. What kept Jesus bound was the accusations against us. You recognize the difference? You're not going to keep Jesus bound to these accusations. It's the accusations that were against us. Because the accusations that were against us were real, true, and condemning. Right? Because we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has failed. And our only hope is that He would take the accusations that were made against us and He would take them upon Himself because we had absolutely no power whatsoever to take our own accusations and experience life and life eternal, abundant life while we are here. But the truth is we needed God's grace upon us and without that grace upon us, we had no hope whatsoever. So these accusations against Him held Him there, but they didn't bind Him there. He stayed because He needed to satisfy the accusations that were made against us. In 1997, a guy named Ryan Matthews was charged with a murder of a store clerk in Louisiana. He was placed on trial, and after one hour of deliberation, the jury found him guilty, even though he proclaimed his innocence. For ten years, he languished in prison on death row. And then some new evidence came to light. There was a ski mask used in this murder and robbery, and it had none of his DNA but other DNA on it. And they had no other evidence that he was guilty at all, so they had to release him from prison. Now imagine spending 10 years of your life in prison for another person's sin or guilt. The accusation was brought against you, not them. And you were paying the price of their sin, of their guilt. But then they released him. Well, now think about it with Jesus. Jesus was paying the price for our sin and our guilt for all times. And he was paying it as as an innocent man for those of us who are guilty. And he was sentenced in our behalf. Imagine what he experienced. But one day, these human judges that judged him, the script is going to flip. And the script, when it flips, they won't be judging Jesus, but Jesus will be judging them. And they will stand before a holy and righteous judge, as each and every single one of us will do. And they'll have to give an account for their lives. What did you do with Jesus? That's the question. What did you do with Jesus? The accusations that were made against him, against you... Or they placed upon him? Or did you say, I'm good enough to handle my own accusations? I'll stand for myself. I will be my own lawyer. And I will go into court. And I will do this myself. Listen. Imagine you're standing there that day. What will you say? Well, Lord, I would have become a follower, but there are too many hypocrites in the church. Lord, I would have become a follower, but those Ten Commandments, I just couldn't keep them all. Lord, I would have become a follower, 
But you know what? I had a bad experience with a preacher one time. You know, God, I would have become a follower. But you know what? I didn't like the music they sang. You know, Lord, I would have become a follower. That Sunday school teacher, I just didn't like him or her. Or you know what? In nursery, I got there one Sunday, and my diaper, my child's diaper wasn't changed. That's still wet. Lord, I didn't go to church because of those greeters. They just weren't kind. They just high-headed me. They just let me come in. So I had a chip on my shoulder. Yes, sir, I did. And I walked out daring them to knock it off. Lord, that's why I didn't go back. That's why I didn't become a follower. But I'm going to tell you, nothing you can say or nothing you can do will stand up that day. The only answer that will be the correct answer is this. I cast all of my sins upon Jesus at the cross because only Jesus can make the statement for me to give me freedom, life, hope, and eternal life. And I trusted Him. If you've not done that today, you're one breath from eternity standing accused and saying, I'll be my own lawyer. My own defense lawyer. And you know what you'll hear? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But if you stand and you say, Lord, the only answer I had was, I cast all my sins upon Jesus because he cares for me and he forgave me. And because of that, I plead the blood. It's your only hope. If you've not ever done that, you need to today. Listen, if you're here today and you, and you need to be a follower of Christ, you need to come. If you have family members that you need to pray for, come to the altar. Listen, whatever the need, you come. If you need to be a member of this local assembly, go to work for the kingdom, and you need to come. Whatever it is, listen. Don't put it off. Because today is the day of salvation, and today is the day that we make it right with the Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I pray for your will. I know, Lord, that you have a perfect plan for our lives. I know that you have satisfied the justice of God. And I know, Father, that the only way it can be satisfied in our lives is for us to come under the blood of Christ. And I ask you, Lord, to draw men, women, boys, and girls to yourself that they may be saved. And, Father, I pray before it's too late because separation from God is a horrible, horrible thing. But to be in His presence is the most wonderful experience one could ever have. So, Father, thy will be done in this service and for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.